Hello, folks. This is your host, Ellie Tascari, welcoming you to Faith Uncensored. Today, you will hear stories of real people who step by faith into the footprints of Jesus. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello, folks, and welcome to another episode with Faith Uncensored. I'm here with a great guest today. I'm here with Sandra Martin Hicks. Hello, Sandra. How hello, you Ellie. How are you doing? Good, good. It's pretty hot outside, so we're enjoying uh, the beautiful weather here in Houston, guys. And uh, so, interesting, uh, interesting person I have here today. Sandra is a filmmaker, and she's been a filmmaker since 1984, right? Well, that's when I started my own production company. Okay. I had a little bit of experience before that, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. So when I started out on my own, it was mostly guts ah. <laughs> and not knowing what else to do. Well, definitely sounds Cause, like... Because um, when I started, when I got my degree in filmmaking, it was mm-hmm. literally in film degree being we were splicing the film and video was just being heard about when I graduated from college. Okay, okay. That's, cool. So that's probably a statement about how old I am. So so you're a pioneer. Okay. Uh, well, I had to teach myself video, mm-hmm. put it that way, because we didn't have it in school yet. Oh, interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. So you, you've been out here for some time, and uh, now you have a network that I am very interested in talking about. It's called Heartstone Network, right? Yep. Okay. It is. Probably uh, six, eight, ten years ago, something like that, I began to have this this idea that we needed a network. I called it a hub. For the longest time, between me and God and my staff, we called it the hub. It was to be, hub would stand for Hope Uniting Believers, where I could see mm-hmm. that, you know, Amazon, Netflix, these places, they're all very powerful because you have all these filmmakers gathered into one place. Mm-hmm. And as believers, we're all trying to do the same thing, but we're all making a little tiny ripple and I just felt like if we came together we could make a big splash so that's something that got put on my heart to do and I worked on it for a couple of years and but it just never I just didn't feel like in my heart it was the time to pull the trigger and then I took off and started doing uh, I felt like God directed me at that time to do those films in Africa like with Heidi Baker and those people Mm -hmm. we did walk with me when War comes to your door and a series with Heidi snakes in the fire and so I thought, well, it must not be either I didn't hear from God right or it's just not the right time for the network. And then mm. in the fall of last year, I was I woke up in the middle of the night to some really um, bad news about what was going on with vaccinations mm-hmm. in Africa. And I was furious. So I started ranting and raving in the middle of the night to God about how it was time for a certain person to be done. I was tired of them causing destruction on the planet, and I just... Let's talk about that. Okay, <laughs> let me ask you, how long has been Heartstone has been around? So two years or well, before Heartstone that? Heartstone Pictures has been around since uh, about 10 years. Okay. Heartstone Pictures. Pictures, okay, mm-hmm. okay, okay. And Heartstone Foundation is our nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Heartstone Pictures is content creators. Heartstone Network is now the distribution I arm see. of our production company but I don't want to just distribute our stuff. So anyway, Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night when I was going on and on griping to God, he does what he does sometimes. He tries to gently change the subject to tell me he's not interested in hearing (laughs) me and rave. So he gave me a picture. I mean, it just, it so startled me. It was, it was like I was looking at a picture just this close to me. And I, I remember I even stepped back and it was pictures of, um, it was like you would think of it as a video. It was moving, but it, in my yard, I have a gazebo, and in it, I have this big tree trunk. 
about, mm-hmm. I don't know, three or four feet tall. And these birds have carved out this side so that they would go in there and lay eggs. They used to have a pet owl that we had, you know, mm-hmm. rescued. In this vision, I saw that log. But in that place where it was carved out, there was all these light, like really bright green birds. And you know how when you play pool, you have the triangle that you put the balls in? They were in that formation, like one, then two, then three, then four, then five. And they they were an unusual green, and their bodies were facing, like, to the side, but they had their head turned looking right at me, and they weren't they weren't scared. They were just at attention. And they had these long tails on their, like, feather tails, mm-hmm. and there were stripes. So I, I thought, what is this? I immediately looked up tree and realized that tree is talked about in the Bible more than anything besides human tree of life and trees reference so much, which I didn't know. Hmm. So I thought, well, okay, what that doesn't really clue me in what this vision's about. Then I went, oh, the stripes on those birds and the green. It's military. God, you're talking to me about the media army, the airwaves. Uh, okay, oh. we're getting somewhere. Wow. So for another couple of days, I would sit out on my porch in the morning and I said, Lord, at my age, we can't wait 20 years for me to figure this out. <laughs> yeah, You're going to have to roll it out, man. What, what's this about? Why were they in that tree? Why were they in that hole of that carved mm-hmm. out tree? And I very quietly heard the Lord say, they're in a hub. I said, oh, oh, it's time for the hub. So the next morning, I got up and I called my web guy and I said, it's time to build the hub. But I don't call it the hub because... That could be a tire store or whatever. A lot of things are a hub. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm calling it Heartstone Network. But I think of it like a hub because it's not just my content. I want to put content from people all over. I want movies. I want docuseries. I want teaching series. Mm-hmm. We have a place on there called Meet Jesus where uh, we tell people how they can walk with the Lord. And then people can send in their selfie testimonial. Mm. Uh, we have like videos from South Sudan and Uganda and Houston, California. All over. We want people just to be able to share with one another what Jesus means to them or how they found Jesus or an answer prayer, whatever they want. Mm-hmm. It's really a, a place for the, the community. Oh. So that's that's what this is about. Uh, you know, all I can tell you is it's something that God put in my heart to do. And um, mm-hmm. and by the way, guys, you're listening now and uh, Faith Uncensored is, is going to be... No, it's already we are, there. You're on there, yes. You're already there. Yes. So And even more with the next season that we're going to have. Yeah. We say on the purpose mm-hmm. of our network, and we do have well-known names like Lance Wallnell and Heidi Baker and Mario Murillo and mm-hmm. Ray Bentley. We do have stories like that. But the thrust of the network is what I say. It's about stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things because they're partnered with an amazing God. Amen. Because Mario Morelli will tell you, he's his popularity is really going and he's quite popular, mm-hmm. but he will tell you he's as ordinary as they get. Yes. And we're all ordinary. Mm-hmm. Just because people know who you are doesn't mean you're not ordinary. We're all just ordinary folk, yeah. you know, in, in the army of God. Yes. yes and this yes. is a time when we have to pull together. The the church, Christians, believers, we've got to get it together because yes. if, if I had time to do mm-hmm. a show, I would do a documentary called The Cost of Disunity. Uh, you know, the other side, they stick together. Yes. Even if they don't like each other, they stick, they stick together. together. But, oh, not Christians, not conservatives. We've got to, you know, we're too busy tearing each other up yeah, instead of true. uniting around our common mm-hmm. uh, things we agree on. Oh, wow. I'm glad to have you here today. But... I, like I will tell you, I had the most extraordinary uh, encounter a couple of weeks ago. It would, I was sitting on the hill country uh, having coffee with my friend at her house, and she was very upset about an article that came out in Teen Magazine about how girls can use their blood to put curses on my people. Goodness. 
And so she's talking about that, and I'm listening to her drinking the coffee. And without warning, I mean, without warning, I had an encounter with God. I could feel his presence so strongly, almost like he was just holding me tight. And I sat there and started crying. And she says, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I said, God. And what it looked like, a movie screen dropped, and I saw this movie play. Because I had been feeling like God was trying to tell me he wanted me to do something about our country. And I was thinking, is it about revivals, the history of revival, or where is revival going, or what are we going to do? So much of this is already being talked about. And I was stunned. What played out was Ezekiel in a desert with the dry bones. And I just sat there and watched it play out. I mean, I saw the camera angles, everything. And, and, uh, I'm talking to my friend about Teen Magazine, and here it comes. Trust me, I wasn't praying. I wasn't talking about the Lord. We were griping about politics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right here, and what the Lord showed me, these dry bones, he was showing me the cause of some of these dry bones in our country. And and so I began to see a story to put together, like how you would tie Ezekiel in with what's going on today. And I was so moved by it. I couldn't, I mean, I could feel it on me for several days. I was just, and then when I was with Mario Marullo working on his story, a couple days later, I told Mario about what had happened. And he goes, wow, because I I gave him all the details of the vision. And and he said, wow, that's really powerful. I said, I know, I think there's, I think there's something here for us to do. Then on the way home from Nashville, Mm. or I came home from Nashville, this was just a week ago, I went to, uh, uh, Weatherford, Texas, and I toured the studios, Capernaum Studios, where they're shooting The Chosen, mm-hmm. and was looking at this whole village and all. Anyway, the next day on the plane, uh, I had another encounter, and this was, I saw Mary Magdalene, or if that's who it was, in fact, in the Jesus Day, walking through the village, and she was clutching something very to her chest, like she wanted to make sure she didn't drop it or lose it. Obviously, it was the alabaster box. She makes her way through the crowd. She gets to this home where the men are having dinner with Jesus. And, of course, there's no women in there except the women serving. And she just tries to be very unassuming under the radar and slips in, goes to Jesus' feet, pours out the alabaster box. We know the story. And she's Mm -hmm. weeping and wiping his hair. And you can hear the voices of people go, well, if Jesus knew who that was, he wouldn't let her do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and then Jesus is saying, you know, Who's he gives the parable of the banker that forgave the guy with a little much, you know. But anyway, as they're telling the story, then their voices just kind of become like muffled, and the whole scene is out of focus except for Jesus and Mary. Hmm. And here was here was the part it took my breath so away. So you having this vision? Yeah, this took my breath away because I'm looking. He talks to me like movies, like right. I'm seeing camera angles. The camera is over Jesus's shoulder, looking at Mary, and as she raises. Her head, with all these tears running down her face, the camera didn't move, she didn't move, but everything changed, and she was in modern-day clothes in her bedroom, worshiping Jesus. Oh. Right? Wow. And I, so I said... I have goosebumps. I know. And I said, you know, Lord, I, I think you're... See, Ellie, if he gave you that vision, it would probably mean something personal. There's no telling what I mean. When he gives me something like that, I think... I'm meeting with the executive producer who's given me a story. Yeah, he's given okay? you a story. Yeah. So wow. I I uh I was very moved by it and I said, Lord, I, I think you're telling me to do a series. And I, I said, right now I'm gonna call it Then and Now. And it's a story where we have a story from Jesus's day. Like you can just see that whole Mary going through the whole crowd. You can mm-hmm. see that on your head. 
And then I've got a story from today that's the same kind of thing. And you marry them together. You braid them together. And now I don't know if it's going to be all Jesus story, all modern day. But it's I think gonna we're going to, you may go back actress. and forth. It's going to be the same actress. Not necessarily right. because I thought it would be. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. But then yesterday I went to a gathering. My friend had a gathering of people just to pray and worship. And I was like, I didn't have time to go, but I felt like I should go. So I went. And I told the Lord, in fact, on the way there, I said, you know, Lord, I really, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're telling me to do this series, but here's, here's the ticket. I don't have the money to do something like that. So if you want me to do this, you know our rule. You order it, you pay for it. So, and I'm not going to go asking for money unless you tell me to. So, mm-hmm. so I yeah. go to this event. It's just a gathering of friends. I had been there about 30 minutes, and I walked over to the coffee bar, and a woman whispers, Sandra, what are you working on right now? And I said, oh, you know, same thing. I'm working. I just got back from Asheville. I'm doing this story with Mario Murillo. And she says, well, bottom line is this. They had just come into some money from selling something, and she said, I've been asking the Lord where to tithe it, and he keeps showing me your face. So I took her to another room and told her what I just told you, and she wow. was just, like, blown away. And I said, so. And then I cried, and wow. I said, I guess— um, I, I guess fresh. this is God. Then, <laughs> and then, oh my God. Then, at the end of the meeting, I had taken some produce out of my garden. I was giving that away. <laughs> and this woman oh. says, I've known her a long time. And she goes, Sandra, you know, I have this story, and all week God has been telling me to talk to you about it. And I said, okay. And she told me the story, and I couldn't breathe. I've known her for 20 some years. I never knew this story. And I went home, thought about it. And I called her this morning and I said, let me tell you what God's telling me to do. And I told her the whole story. And her story would fit perfectly with the Mary story I just told you. The, then, the now and, well, what would you say? She would be the now. Mary Magdalene Mary, is the then, then and her story is the, the now. now. And I was, it just took my breath away when I thought about it. Wow. So this, this is like brand new. I'm still working fresh, it out. Fresh. But oh. I, I've known for, and this is what's interesting. Back in 2000, 21 years ago, one morning I felt God speak to me and say, you need to study Ezekiel because that's going to be your life's work. And so I started reading Ezekiel and getting some tapes on it. Ooh, I read a few chapters and went, ooh, Debbie Downer. <laughs> I, did, I didn't like that. Yeah. So I quit. I didn't want to. You know, this guy had to do some icky mm-hmm. stuff. I didn't go lay on his side for 30. I was, yeah. didn't want to do it. So then a few years later, he told me that Ezekiel 37 was my life's verse. And I, I didn't really get that either. And mm. now here we are. Mm. But a, a few years ago, well, not a few years ago, it was in 2016. It was in the summer of 2016. I went to an island called Bougainville. It's in the uh, Solomon Islands. Mm. And I went with somebody who had been chasing revival. And there was this little man that we had heard of. There's been five revivals in this little island in Bougainville, like first century apostle type stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, many people told me that they saw this little guy named Joshua. God just struck him, just struck him and put all of this stuff in him and, and had him do this amazing revival like 50 years ago. This guy would be preaching and be walk off the table, he'd be walking on the air and people, a lot of people said, oh yeah, we saw it. People raised from the dead, just first century stuff that went on. So we went over there trying to find some of his disciples to to hear about, because there's been five revivals. Come to find out he was alive. So we went deep into the jungle, found this guy. Anyway, bottom line is I'll skip all that hairy story. 
the bottom line of that story is when we brought him out, we were interviewing him the next day and I was on the camera and I had no idea what they were talking about because I didn't speak the language. Mm -hmm. So I'm just sitting there sweating because it's hot. And I heard him say, Oral Roberts, William Seymour, and Brenham. And as soon as he said that, I, I, I can't explain it to you except that God got a hold of me and I felt I, the Lord said, revival, I brought revival here. It stayed pure. Because this is one of those yeah. over the valley and through the woods, a boat, a camel, and everything else to get to this place. You just can't get on there and go. Mm -hmm. So Americans never knew about it, so they didn't go over there and screw it up. Okay? Uh. And God said, it's been here, and it stayed pure. I'm now giving it to you to take back to America. And I thought, I don't Responsibility. But I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I thought, I'm a uh. filmmaker. He must mean through the airwaves. I don't really know what he means. So then I felt oil pouring from the top of my head, pouring down my body. And I just stood there shaking and crying. And the other person on the camera is going, are you okay? Are you okay? I didn't know. So I told this man what happened and he prayed for me. And he said, Lord, you gave me the first century anointing like mm -hmm. those apostles. And I ask you to give it to her so she can use these cameras to get your word across the world. Okay. So then I came home. I didn't understand what had happened, but I would have meetings and say, well, I don't know what happened. I'm just going to like open the suitcase and let God do what he does. And so we had encounters where many people in the room would actually see Jesus. We People would experience the love of God for the first time. Just wild stuff was going on. Mm. I didn't understand it. I, I kept saying, I'm just a filmmaker. I'm just opening the suitcase. God, do what you do. Because I, I, you know, I'm not an evangelist like in front of the mm -hmm. microphone and doing all that. So it, it, I just didn't know what really to do with it. And so then my mother died uh, July 1st or June 30th last year. So we're coming up on the winter anniversary. I got the phone call that my mother died. And while I'm on the phone to my sister and she's telling me that my mother died, I got a phone call from somebody. It's somebody I know, but we don't talk on the phone. We don't go have coffee, just somebody I know. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how odd for her to be calling me. So after I got off the phone with my sister and called my kids, I listened to her message. And she said, Sandra, I had the weirdest dream about you a week ago. But God wouldn't let me tell you the dream, and I didn't get it anyway. And just now, he told me, I have to tell you the dream, and you have to hear it right now. I don't know why you have to hear it right now. My. So that's why I'm leaving you this message. And it was while well, I was getting the news that my mother had just passed. Oh. So I, now my interest is peaked. Well, let's get on with it. Let's hear the message. Mm -hmm. She said, I had a dream, and in the dream, you were in your late 20s, early or you were in your late teens, early 20s, and you stood up to speak to a crowd of people. And when you were introduced, the whole crowd hushed and wanted to hear what you had to say because you were introduced as Mr. Seymour's daughter. And she goes, oh, I didn't know who Mr. Seymour was. You ought to look him up. I thought, oh, I know who oh, he yes. is. William yes. Seymour. Yes, yes. And so here's this revival thing again that God gave me in Bougainville. The, the, the person who was... Oh my! Yes, so I cannot even so he it. speaks to me and tell me he's <laughs> given me this revi this anointing revival, which... I don't have any understanding of. And like I said, I'm not an evangelist in the pulpit. So I thought, what what is this about their ways? Well, then when everything happens this last year that we've had in America, the whole, I'm wow. starting to understand what he's talking about. But then when she gets this dream, now I'm really stumped. So then I go out, I, I had, I just kept feeling like I've got to meet Mario Marilla because Mario Marilla is 110% evangelist. He's not a pet. He's mm -hmm. all evangelist. And I was so drawn to this guy. And I thought, he is just like John the Baptist. He tells it like it is. So mm -hmm. I met him. And we had this instant thing. It was like electricity. And we both felt it. That it was like we had known each other our whole lives. And we had an assignment. And his his call is revival. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, I, so I think Man. he's going to help me on this TV show then and now or whatever. I don't know what's ahead of us. I don't know. I'm... 
I mean, this is just like happening and unfolding right now. So I, I really wow. don't know. Wow. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm just a I, little I, girl I from Oklahoma. I, I know what you're saying. I understand but what you're that's saying. That's what qualifies us because we know we got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. You, wow. I'm just like, I know. And I've, I've talked to the recent, you know, used hmm. to when I was younger in my 20s and 30s, I would sit in a theater and I wanted to make movies so bad I would just cry. I wanted to make them so bad. Then I got reconnected with God and I didn't care anymore. I thought, oh, I got a good life. I got, you know, great marriage, God. kids, all that. Yeah. Who cares? And then it was like the birth of a vision, the death of a vision the birth of a vision, because then when I didn't care anymore, okay, now you can do it. Yes. And I went, but I'm the in death like, of a vision, yeah. Of course, seed. I tell God, you know, would this, wouldn't it have been awesome if you'd given me all this work to do when I was like, oh, I don't know, 40 uh. instead of what I am now. <laughs> but, you know, I could almost hear God uh. laughing going, yeah, but you were a hot mess when you were 40. Mm. And, of course, I wouldn't have had the, you know, mm. the maturity to know what to do with it or handle it. Yeah. yeah. So when you get old enough to understand things, your body's running out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is, wow, I'm blown away. This is such an yeah, amazing me testimony. Too. Me too. And it's just unfolding right now in this moment. It's nothing, didn't happen 10 years ago or not even five. No. Last and, week. <laughs> no, and I'm like, let me tell you when I'm at Heidi what? Baker. Here's the funny thing. God says to me, this was in 2016, I want you to do this TV series called Walk With Me. And I God gave okay. you the title. Yeah. And I said, well, I think he did. I don't know. It was this TV series. And I said, well, who am I going to do? And he says, I want you to start with Heidi Baker. And I said, Lord, I met Heidi once. She ain't going to remember that. And there's a million people wanting to put a camera in her face. How's that going to happen? And he said, call Iran alive, just like that. And I said, oh, well, that's a great idea. So I texted my friends that have a network called Iran Alive. They broadcast into Iran 24 hours a day. They're Iranian. And I texted them and I said, hey, when you have a minute, call me. They call me immediately. I said, wow, that was fast. I thought it'd be like two weeks. I said, well, we're driving home. And I said, I want to do this TV show with Heidi Baker. If I do it, will you run it? And they said, oh, yeah, Iranians will eat her up with a spoon. I said, why? Wow. And they said, she's so blonde, so small, so powerful. And I said, okay. So. Fine for me. <laughs> I, get a, I get a meeting with Heidi in uh, Harrisburg. Pennsylvania. There were three speakers at this conference, and all I knew Patricia King and I knew Lance Wall now, and, I, mm -hmm. and I'd met Heidi once. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I can maybe. put in a word for me. Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> yes. So anyway, I have an appointment with her at like seven in the morning out in the lobby of the hotel or nine in the morning, whatever it was. And she doesn't show up. And I thought, that's just, I don't know her very well, but I, that doesn't seem like her. So I sat with the front door that she wasn't going to get by with me. Right. So. Anyway, here comes Patricia King off the elevator. She's, do you know who she is? She's, okay. Yeah, yeah. So Patricia goes, Sandra, I didn't know you were here. She goes, well, let's have coffee. So we're sitting here having coffee, and here comes Heidi. And she and Patricia greet each other. And so now Heidi sees I'm with Patricia, so I got credibility for being a friend uh. of Patricia. And then she came over to hug me just because I was a friend of Patricia. And I said, <laughs> did you know we had a meeting 15 minutes ago? She goes, no, nobody told me. Look, it's not on my calendar, which I think they did. She just forgot because she has so much her mind. She goes, well, let's have it right now. Hi. So we only had a few minutes. Well, the day before, my friend said, oh, I have this weird feeling you're going to take Heidi to the airport. And I said, mm, yeah, okay, sure. So I'm sitting here talking to Heidi, and I said, well, all right, let's cut to it. Let's just pretend we're best friends, and let's jump in. I want to do this TV show, and the reason I want to do it is because it's going to broadcast in the Middle East. And she leaned forward and said, oh, just yesterday, God told me I needed to go into the Middle East. Keep talking. Wow. So I told her, oh, we're in the middle of talking. And she goes, okay, I'm very, very interested. Wow. And then somebody comes in to give Patricia a ride to go over to speak. And Heidi was supposed to be getting a ride to the airport. Uh -huh. And she said to the person, so-and-so never showed up to give me a ride. Would and I said, me? don't worry, Heidi. I have my keys and I'm ready to take you. 
So I took her to the airport. Isn't God good? Yeah, we talked another half hour. She gets out of the car, and I said, now how am I going to work out coming to Africa? Because she said, yeah, the answer is yes, let's do it. This is God. I can feel it's God. And I said, well, how am I going to contact you? Who do I go through? She goes, here's my direct number. You just talk to me. (laughs) She got out of the car. Oh, God. And I sat there in the car at drop-off at the airport, and I started, I admit to you, I started crying so hard. I was bawling so hard that when a cop came by and looked in the window and saw me, I think he thought that I just got a phone call that somebody had just died. I was bawling so hard, and he didn't, he just let me sit there. And I was crying so hard because back when my daughter, my oldest daughter was six years old, God spoke to me, and he said, I want you to reclaim the airwaves. And I said, huh? What? And then he started talking to me about building this Hollywood type thing. He just laid out all this stuff. So, you know, 20 years go by, 20-something years go by. And in that moment, when Heidi said, yeah, yeah, come to Africa, I knew that we had finally come to the point where the door was open to fulfill all these things that God has been speaking to me for so many years. And that's why I was crying. It wasn't that I had met Heidi or she said, yes, it's that I knew the hour had finally come. And um, a month later, I was in Africa. And wow. I'm all the way over there, I took a crew that was five of us, and I thought, if anybody in the film business knew that I was taking a crew of people to Africa, and I had absolutely no idea why we were going, I had no idea what we were going to film, <laughs> I thought, oh, I'd be left out of the film business. And I had this idea that we were going to do it called Walk With Me, and God was going to be the narrator. So when we got there... Um, I told Heidi I was there. She said, come to the house after church. So we did, and there's always a lot of people there. And I was just a nervous wreck. I said, Heidi, I've got to talk to you before we get going on all this. So after a lot of people left, she and I went out in the middle yard by ourselves, and we talked, and my friend that was with me thought, oh, this." She's looking at our body language, she thought, this is not going well. <laughs> but it was actually going well. Heidi loved it all and said, great, just come with me, follow me everywhere. And she said, the first thing I think I need to do is I introduce you to Jose and Albertina. He was a feared witch doctor in three provinces, and he brought snakes to an outreach to kill her or kill I don't know what to do with what. But anyway, he had just been converted, and when he brought them to the snakes, she talked him into burning the snakes, accepting Jesus, getting baptized, and getting married all in the same day. And the girlfriend had leprosy. She got healed, all this stuff. So mm. she took me out there uh, to meet them, and that was the first story that I did. It's called Snakes in the Fire. And uh, I think this is probably the most important story. Not that I created the the story of these people getting converted and everything. Mm. It's one that's meant the most to her. She said, if I've been here for 20 years just for them, it was worth it. Because it was such a conversion and such a... Okay, so I I did this story and gave it to her. And they were playing it in the villages and all these outreaches and stuff. And then I went to Uganda in a refugee camp uh, a couple years later or whenever it was. And uh, after I did the story, When War Comes to York, because I met Carolyn Figlioli mm-hmm. at the base, Heidi's base, and kept thinking about her story and decided I had to go do a story on that. And so mm-hmm. I did. So anyway, I went into a refugee camp, <laughs> yeah. and I took the story of Snakes in the Fire. Mm-hmm. And I had the older kids at Carolyn's Orphanage, her home, do the voiceover in yeah. their Arabic language. So when we got into the to the refugee camps, I showed this film and I said, "Listen, I need you to do me a favor. I know your your custom is to be nice and loving, but the most loving thing you can do is to be honest with me. Do you like the story? Do you want more like this? Because I don't want to spend my life doing something nobody wants." And they began to stand up one by one, telling me how beautiful it was. 
I mean, it was a story shot in Africa with Africans by, you know, it was all African. It wasn't a bunch of white people telling them. It was Africans speaking African. And so they they just had me in tears. And they say, can you put this in all the different languages and all this other? So anyway, I left it there. I took a solar power projector and a sound system and all that. And I left it for one of the pastors there in the camp. And they, they have outreaches every weekend. Um, and show the film. And when they first yeah. started doing it, a thousand people would show up because first of all, they don't get to see much. But second of all, it was their people. <laughs> then uh, COVID came, but they started showing it in small huts and stuff so they wouldn't get caught. Meanwhile, any, every time they show it, they have conversions and baptisms because wow. what one of the guys stood up in the thing when I asked him about it, he said, you know, our first thing is anytime anything goes wrong, you get sick or something bad happens. Our first inclination is we always go to a witch doctor. But now you're showing us the story of a witch doctor who burned the stakes and saying witch doctoring is not real and that Jesus is the only way. So that tells us Jesus is the only way. We go to Jesus now. And I thought, well, why uh-huh. didn't I know that was going to happen? Wow. So that's why wow. it's so powerful all, all over Africa because, mm. you know, witchcraft is a big deal over I know. there. So mm. I'm working on other things. I haven't touched that film in several years, but we, we have fruit every week ah, from that. That's man. the power of media. Hallelujah. Wow. So I thought I would be back in... Africa this year, mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, but okay. here we have COVID, so my attention is now on America. Yeah, yeah. Everybody has their own attention in yes. their house now yes. because that. And we're trying to create a. I built a garden out at my place so that we could teach them. I'm working with agricultural people to teach mm-hmm. people how to grow food and even when the dry season and all that, so that they can grow their own food because even people over there watch videos on their cell phone, you know, with Yeah, data. so you're sending, okay. So we're trying to, you know, I haven't, once you go to Africa, your heart is there and it's, you never, you never lose it. Mm-hmm. I've been to Egypt, but I've never been um, outside. Of, it was many years ago, so. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I saw um, Walk With Me When War come to, Comes to Your Door yeah. with uh, Caroline Filioli that yeah. we interviewed a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It was Amazing. amazing, amazing. It is an amazing story, isn't it? Amazing story of Carolyn's tenacity, Carolyn's inspiration. I mean, I, I mean, one of the things that I remembered, I will remember forever when Heidi Baker told her, "If you don't quit, you win." Yes, Heidi says it all the time. <laughs> if, if you, you don't, don't quit, quit, you win. I mean, this should be a mantra. You know, this is like um, for life. Wow. And I would tell you, um, you know, I spent about three months over there. Uh, in mm-hmm. Africa, no, at one time I spent, I think, two months at one time. So I don't how many months I've been over there altogether. But I remember going to Heidi one time because it was in July and my crew was all leaving. And she said, can you stay two more weeks? Just you. And I said, I, you know, I will. I mm-hmm. stayed. And I got to spend a lot of time just with the people, sitting with the people. And uh, Heidi always says, the poor made me rich. And I remember going to her one night and I said, you know, I've heard you say the poor made me rich. And I always thought, well... That makes a clever sermon title, clever mm-hmm. sermon. And she looked at me. I had big tears in my eyes. And she goes, you get it now, don't you? I mm-hmm. said, oh, big time. Yeah. Big time. It was this little mama. She was one of Heidi's friends. Her name was Mama Tina, an older woman. And uh, I I fell in love with her the minute I met her. I would see her on every trip. And, uh, you know, because of my background and things I went through, I was always afraid to hug people. And I wanted to hug people, but I was always very uncomfortable Mm-hmm. with it and just you know i went to this bible study i taught at this bible study and they were always hugging everybody and i made a joke and said i'm here for all you non-huggers Ugh. <laughs> right so i'm in africa in 2016 or 17 whatever it was 16 i guess it was and uh, 
Mama Tina was very sick. And, um, you know, they just have like beans and rice and all. She couldn't hold down any food. We thought she was dying. And I went to see her and she was just almost lifeless. And I walked away from her house and I thought, I don't, I want to go to the market. And I bought some potatoes from the little village market. And I went back to my room. I was staying on the base and I had like a little burner that you would use camping. And I went and got some milk and I made potato soup for Mama Tina. Hmm. And I took it back and I went in and I was going to give her the soup and I looked at her and I realized she couldn't feed herself because she was going to have to sit up. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I either have to just leave it and walk away and she won't be able to eat it. This is crazy. This is crazy. But I stood there and I thought, I have to cross the line in the sand. What are you going to do? You know what was making me nervous? I was going to have to go over and pick her up off that cot, and I was going to have to hold her in my arms like a baby and feed her. This is crazy, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Because that should have been a no-brainer, but it was like, (gasps) to me. So I went over. I loved her. I went over, and I picked her up, and I held her in my arms, and I fed her that soup. Mm. And I went back, and I did it every day. Oh. And Mama recovered. Saved somebody's life. Lived two more years. (laughs) And you know what happened? She saved me because I came home a different person. And I was at this retreat last year, a couple of years ago, when this um, woman had lost her husband. And she just, need, she, I don't know why, there was 100 women in the room, and she came to me just needing to be hugged for the longest time. And she told everybody about how much healing that came. And everybody's like, Whoa. from Sandra? <laughs> because that oh. little African woman. So when Heidi says, the poor made me rich, mm-hmm. Tina helped heal my heart. Tina made me rich. And she was just this little mm. broken, af- poor, poor, poor African woman. Oh, oh. And you know, her daughter mm. came. I loved her daughter. We still text each other. We can't speak each other's language, but we can see pictures. We sat there mm-hmm. and we talked about, without understanding each other's language, whether we were married, divorced, or widowed, how many kids, how many grandkids, all this stuff. And then we figured it all out. And then when we had a translator came in and spoke our language, we had it all right. <laughs> we figured it all right. You know, there's a love there is, language. Yes, there is a love language. So I... I miss those people over yeah. there. I I love them so. And my friends laugh and say, do you remember years ago? You used to say, I'll do anything God tells me to do except go to Africa. Yeah. <laughs> so I tell God, you're from Italy. I tell God all the time, yeah. listen, God, no matter what you say, I'm not going to do a project mm-hmm. in Tuscany, Italy. It is not happening. Because you know when you say no, it always happens. And so far, so far, he's, you know. he's saying, okay, no problem. <laughs> okay, okay, Father, I don't want to do a project at Hawaii. Right. I don't want to go, I don't want right. to go. <laughs> Sandra, I can ask you something. Uh-huh. So um, walk with me, the, the one that I, I looked when at. When work comes to your door. Okay, yes. Um, something happened to you when you went there. I mean, the, the, it was really a success. I saw it, and, but you got hurt when you got there, right? I did. It was the first time we went to shoot. We were partway into the shoot, and um, we were on a boda going back to our hotel, which is like a moped here. Mm-hmm. And um, I got hit by a big construction truck. I mean, you hardly ever see them in all of Africa, but here came one. Mm-hmm. And a guy tried to run me over with a motorcycle two nights before, and I didn't snap to what was going on. But anyway, it hit me, and I was flown. I don't know. My friend said I was flown like 30 feet in the air, and so they tried landed to- on my head, and, and uh, I don't know whether killed me or what but they started screaming jesus then i started breathing of course there's blood everywhere and all that and anyway three days uh after i I had all these wounds and literally hundreds of people were here praying for me more than it was at the beginning or towards the end of the shooting in the middle i'd been there about seven days and i had about four or five days left 
Oh. And uh, anyway, all these things were, were wrong. And as people began to pray, like m my leg was huge. They took me to x-ray. So my friend that was with me texted in America, pray, pray, pray. By the time they came back from x-ray, it was normal. And she was beginning to think she was imagining things. God was answering prayers so fast. There was wow. so many people praying. Wow. So three days after the event, I was able to force, convince the doctor that I was okay to fly home. And, of course, when I got to the airport, they were like, oh, my gosh, I looked really scary. Kids were seeing me and run and cry. I mean, I looked really bad. Oh. They were afraid to let me on the plane, but I had the release from the doctor. But they still called a doctor in... Um, Dubai to discuss what was on with me. They were afraid for me to get on. They thought, surely she's got brain damage, concussion or something, because I looked that bad. And uh, So your face, everything? Oh, it was bad. Yeah. My friend was nervous. I said, don't worry, because I, and I also had vertigo so bad. My friend said, I don't know how I'm going to get you to the airport. You can't even sit up. And I said, well, you have to. So I said, I made two phone calls. I called Heidi, who was in America, already for Christmas. I said, Heidi, you've, Biden is afraid to get me home. Talk to her. And she said, you have to get her home. You have to get her to American doctors. She has to be with her family. Mm -hmm. Biden, no matter what, you've got to get her. And then I called my friend who's an RN, and they thought I had internal brain, brain, brain bleeding, and I'm glad she didn't tell us. And they told her the same thing. And so I said to Biden, I said, do you feel better now to get me home? She goes, okay. So she went to the hotel, and she got some guys to come and carry me to the van because it, the vertigo was so bad. And I knew, I knew that when we, I didn't know when it was going to happen, but I knew before that airplane took off, God was going to take my vertigo away. I just knew it. Mm. I knew he would. And the minute we got to the airport and they threw the car door open and a snap of the fingers, all the vertigo went away. So anyway, I did fly home and uh, my husband, I just can't imagine what my family went through. There was a group of people that met us at the airport because they didn't know whether I was going to make it or not. And I got home, and they took me to Herman um, Trauma, and they looked at me, and they said, we just want to prepare you. We can tell by looking at you, you have internal bleeding and bones broken in your face. And I said, no, I don't. And he says, well, I've been doing this a long time. I'm here to tell you you do. And I said, well, don't be mad at me when you come find out it's, I don't. Mm -hmm. So I was right. I didn't. And um, mm. I came home, and two weeks later, mm -hmm. my, my younger brother was in Thailand, and he had the exact same accident. He was on a boat, and he was hit. He had the same injuries I did. But three days after my injuries, I came home. Three days after his injuries, he died in Thailand. Wow. And so to this day, mm. I think it's because of me, because somebody tried to take me out two nights before to a whole demonic thing. Now, mm -hmm. I'm not saying I understand that I'm not in charge of the universe. Yes. But... So I'm not under mm -hmm. guilt about it. But it took me nine months before... Walk with me when we had to wait nine months for me to emotionally get myself back together before I could continue working. And, of course, the first thing my husband said when I landed in, at the airport was, you're never going back never to going Africa. Back. And I said, uh-huh. So, of course, the next January I was on a flight back to Africa. There's no way I wasn't going. There is no way I wasn't going. There was no way. So I've been several times. And I would have gone this year and last year with him for COVID. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. The enemy doesn't win. Fear yeah. doesn't win. Mm -hmm. You know, because here's the here's the thing. If if God had decided it was it was yeah. he would allow it, I would have been dead. Yeah. And I wouldn't have come home then. And I remember laying mm -hmm. in the hospital and I said, God, when I first because for 45 minutes I was like out of it, didn't know what was going on. And the first thought I had when I came to was I have I said, God, I have internal bleeding and I'm gonna die unless you say otherwise. And I wasn't afraid and I said, It's whatever you choose to do. But I do want to remind you that I don't think my family's in a place that they'll be 
okay with you if I go under these circumstances? Mm-hmm. So I, there was several people sent emails saying, God, show me you have internal bleeding, but he's healing you. Wow. And so then, when you went to Herman Trauma yeah. in Houston, yeah. you know that God was already healing. Oh, I'd already been healed when I came I home. And my face, the way you looked at it, you couldn't believe how fast it was healing. I was taking uh-huh. pictures every few days because it was <laughs> astounding. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that I got hit on December 11th. Mm-hmm. And I already had planned a luncheon for my friends that I do on Christmas for December 18th. Mm-hmm. I've been doing it for years. And first thing my uh, kids said was, look, we know how important it is to you. And we know you're still going to try to do that luncheon, so we're going to do it. So I will say it took four <laughs> people to put on a luncheon that I normally do by myself. <laughs> we're not even going to try to stop but you. You know what? I needed to see my friends because mm-hmm. my friends had been, they had a 24-hour prayer chain going. And people were getting up and praying and texting each other at two and three and four o'clock in the morning. Wow. I mean, how do you ever how do you ever say thank you enough? How do you ever you know what I mean? Yeah. Yesterday my friend, a good friend of mine, was in a car wreck. She was heading to that prayer meeting where I was going and she was sitting still at a construction site and she was rearing it at seventy five miles an hour. Walked away with zero pain. Even today no pain. That she was listening to a song called The Goodness of God at the time it happened. Now the couple, the father or the man and the had to be life flighted, but she said absolutely no, nothing whatsoever. But I was so nice. upset. I mean, I had to stop everything, and I was so upset the rest of the day at what happened to her. And I remember driving, thinking, "Wow, I know she's okay, and I can go see her." How did how did people that are close to me handle me being an African, not knowing if I was going to live or die? Mm, yeah, your family, your friends, your yeah, huh. yeah. So I had a whole new appreciation yesterday mm. for what wow. people had gone through. Wow. You know, we had a, I had a small accident, not, nothing that major, but I remember last December, uh, we were supposed to lead the worship at New Life for a prayer event, a 12-hour, mm-hmm. and um, as I was getting ready, the babysitter came in to look after the kids. I was getting ready. I fell off the stairs. Oh, my gosh. And I twisted my, my uh, knee. And it was so horrible. It was so painful. And my husband said, let's go to the ER. Which it's reasonable, you know, yes, yeah. let's go see what's going on because I was screaming, yeah, ready yeah. to leave and makeup and everything. And and then we said, if this is the devil, we have to go. If if this is the devil causing that, yeah, we cannot bow down to this. We need to go. You know, where to church or yes, we went to church. We did you really? Yes, we went and I got a chair. I said, I need a chair. And so a new life, big stage. I don't know yeah. if you've ever seen it. Yeah. Oh, they got me a stool and I sit on it and I uh, let the worship from there. But yeah, I understand, you know, there are some things that you got to do. Yeah. There's some, it wasn't major like you, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. I understand. Mm-hmm. We got to do what God has called you, you to do. do and you got to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, is, there is a price though. What did you say I would do a movie called The Price of Unity? What did you say in the beginning? The the price of disunity. The, the price, cost. The cost, the cost of, of disunity. disunity. The cost of disunity. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because oh. it's big. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you see, Christians have, um, we've wanted ease and comfort and whatever else. You know, we've been the yeah. dry bones, and that's why yeah. the schools are the way they are. Mm-hmm. That's that's why our country's in the shape, because Christians <laughs> let everybody else yeah. take over. Talking about the dry bones, and I, one of the um, the things that I keep believing for the, for the, the purpose of this podcast is to stir the faith and rise up a spirit of prophecy, mm-hmm. you know, and stir the spirit of prophecy. Because I heard this from Dr. Stella Emanuel, because she was saying, you need two things for the bones to arise. You need Ezekiel's and you need the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so this is what we're going to be. 
you know, we're going to be Ezekiel towards these dry bones. So when you started talking about wow. it, I was like, oh my. <laughs> wow. There is so much, you know, God is moving. And uh, uh, we started this podcast, you know, just uh, really out of the blue. It was mm-hmm. more like outrage. Enough is enough. Yeah. We're going to speak. I think that's gonna, kind of a common thing yeah. that's going on right yes, now. Yes. I believe a lot of people are coming mm-hmm. out with that spirit, you know, of mm-hmm. outrage, a holy outrage, of holy rebellion, you mm-hmm. know, enough mm-hmm. is enough. Mm-hmm. I want to speak up. Mm-hmm. And for years I've been saying, well, God doesn't need anybody to defend his name, which is true. God is God. But this January, I got up and I said, I am going to defend the name of the Lord. I had enough. Well, and yesterday <laughs> I said to the Lord, what do you want to say about Ezekiel 37? And I went back to Ezekiel 36 and I went, oh, how did I not know this? God said, I'm so upset because you have ruined my name. You, basically, he said, you people have drugged my name through the mud. Hmm. And now I'm going to take over because I've got to rebuild my reputation. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And that's what leads up to prophesy the dry bones. I'm going to get you people up and moving again to restore my reputation so people will know that I did it. Hmm. So you can't just read Ezekiel 37 yeah. starting there. Go back to 36. And that's what he's talking about. He's mad because everybody's ruined his name. Huh. I went, wow. And, you know, yesterday I saw I got a headline that came across my phone. Christian filmmaker refuses to shoot gay sex couple i mean really really and then you have this teachers union that's funding the yeah. the production of jesus that's lgbtq they're showing mm-hmm. jesus as transgender yeah you, you think that's dragging his name through the mud my goodness my goodness uh-huh. horrible yeah all yeah. in the name of what equality or whatever give me a break yeah give yeah. me a break yeah. you know if i were to do your story and i were to say you came from france that's not really any big deal but you still would go you know i don't appreciate that i'm italian yeah so why do we have the right to say Jesus was something he wasn't? Yeah. Jesus was Jewish, and he didn't have relations with anybody. Yeah, yeah. This has really gone too far. Yeah. Totally. Gone too far. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, it was a pleasure to have you today. Thank and, you. Uh, I mean, good luck with your podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, guys, uh, if you want to see some of these series that she's um, she's been, she worked on with uh, Caroline Filioli and Heidi Baker, you can just go to heartstonenetwork.com, right? Am I yes. saying it correct? Yeah, and we also have all of, a lot of Lance Walnow stuff. Mm-hmm. We have Mario's Daily Blog. And there's a real interesting series with Ray Brentley called Step Into the Story. And he's talking about his, you know, prophecy that's going on in Israel right now. And mm-hmm. and then like the docuseries and shorts and testimonials, okay. all kind of stuff. We can be blessed and we can be a blessing too. And if you guys want to share it with your friends, with oh, your family. This is good stuff. You know, it's not, the, on TV, we see all kinds of violence, of dirtiness, of things that are not godly. It's time to say no. There is heartstonenetwork.com. You can Google it. You can, um, um, and you can see all these projects. And we also have working. an app. You can get an app for your iPhone or your Android. Okay. The Heartstone Network app. Okay, that's great. So uh, share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, um God bless you. Thank you, Sandra, for being here with us today. Thank you. Have a great day.